Hello everyone and welcome to Dirty Money, the show where we take you through the sinister side of finance and show you the most filthy financial scandals. And I have Mike in the studio here with me today. How are you doing, Mike? Great. How are you doing? I'm good, man. And on today's podcast, we are going to cover Deutsche Bank shares tumbling and why that is the need possibly for universal FDIC insurance, which... Uh, well, if that actually happens, it would kind of be crazy. Uh, Coinbase getting hit with an SEC investigation, their stock tumbling as well. And also YouTubers and celebrities, eight of them, in fact, uh, being hit with lawsuits from the SEC over their promotion of a crypto scam. But uh, first of all, one thing I want to talk about, which uh, is kind of interesting and uh, I want to bring a little spice uh, into the show with this. And that is that today, or maybe it was yesterday, Pluto moved into Aquarius, okay, for the first time in 225 years. And I know, Mike, you're quite into looking at the astrology of investing and the astrology of money. So uh, I'm going to hit you with this and I'll get your response. So Aquarius is associated with rebirth, okay? And the last time Pluto was in Aquarius was from between 1777 to 1797. Well, guess what happened during that period? None other than the American Revolution and the French Revolution happened last time Pluto was in Aquarius. So it could indicate massive changes in society. Um, and by what we're seeing with the crumbling of the banking set, uh, lawsuits against certain celebrities, it could indicate kind of like the out of, uh, getting rid of the old in with the new. Anyway, it's going to be a wild ride if you believe in all that stuff. So Mike, what's your, what's your response to that? Uh, well, you know, JP Morgan said it best. He said, millionaires follow the market, billionaires follow the stars. And, and exactly. If, and if you follow, uh, if you follow it closely, there is, there is the beginnings of the cycle for astrology with financing and timing the market. You know, the, there's a couple of different books that I've read that have really, you know, changed how I trade a little bit. Um, you know, no suggestions, no advice, none of that. I'm just, uh, I'm just saying that it, it's happened and it's actually worked. I think you know, Deutsch is is rebounding a little bit right now uh, as we speak. You know, it's it's two o'clock on Friday afternoon, but but ultimately, uh, these guys are selling their selling their uh, bonds to cover their deposits. I mean, does it sound familiar? Like SVB. Exactly. But when you're talking about astrology and you think about this has been 225 years since this same cycle has happened with Pluto, you know, oftentimes Pluto is looked at as rebirth or death. Right. So uh, fundamentally, the the English, uh, which, you know, were brought to America now in 1777. What happens? The American Revolution, 1791. The Constitution was uh, solidified and put into play in 1791, which gave us a total of about 15 years of war with Britain, you know, and, and roughly six years after that is when the Aquarius and Pluto were then out of cycle. So when you look at it, we're, I think we're in for some interesting times. I feel like what's going on right now is a slow motion 2008. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how to explain. It's very slow yeah. motion. Like they're doing everything they can to stop it. But actually in 2008, I think if you, maybe we just don't remember it correctly because remember in 2008, it started in, in like summer 2008, but actually, oh, maybe it wasn't summer. No, it was kind of like summer into fall 
started with the housing market, but then it spread to the financial sector later on, more coming into 2009. So it did actually take like a whole year for the whole thing to happen. And then after 2009, that's when we started coming out of it. So, yeah. you know. It was mid-September when the markets felt the, felt the hit for 2008. Yeah, I think it was yeah. September 15th or September 11th. I had just moved to Manhattan. And uh, literally a week after I moved there, I was like, oh, this is excellent. You know, um, but then the Lehman, the Lehman uh, crashed. That was was that slightly later. I think that was more in the winter, wasn't it? No, that was, bankruptcy. Yeah, that was right around that time. That's when Lehman crashed. The bailout. Oh, that was September. What yeah. about Wamu? Wamu was later. Wamu was later. Yeah, yeah. So it it kind of did take some time to spread through. Um, yeah, but, I remember my dad lost his job in two thousand and nine. So you know, about six months after the initial crash started, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, we started feeling the worldwide recession, uh, for the next really two to three years. And, and there's certain parts of the United States where you started to feel that long before it 2007, 2006, uh, in the automotive area, Rust Belt, whatever you want to call it, Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, they, they started to really feel the effects of, of a recession in 2007, 2006, even. So, right. yeah. Uh, you know, th that time period, depending on where you were at, where you were from, it lasted from 06 to 2012, at least 2013, you know, 2013, we were probably pretty much out of it. So it, it's interesting to see because I don't think anybody really felt the effects of what's going on right now. You know, yeah. no one, no one was, you know, a year ago going, hey, we're going to, we're going to be in the bottoms. You know, <laughs> everybody's like, this is cranking every, the market's hitting all time highs. You know, we're up 70% from the low over COVID, you know, so everybody's just the going. COVID, the COVID was sort of a flash recession. And then when everyone realized that it really wasn't anything to worry about, it, it snapped back, you know, it was a V shaped um, thing. So it, I think this is the real recession that was due to happen, you know, because of all the from money it. printing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Since. Yeah. You can't print that um, much money in that respect. The let's fact. let's start talking about though Deutsche Bank and also um, the calls for universal FDIC insurance, which kind of happened this week with Janet Yellen um, in Congress. So um, first, you know, Deutsche Bank. Uh, basically, there's been a str a, a spike in uh, credit default swaps, which are the insurance for bondholders against default. So for those who don't know. Uh, why, when you um, um, so for those who don't know though, when when you invest in a company, there's two things you can invest in: either you can buy equities or you can buy bonds. And so equities are you know ownership stocks, basically ownership in the company, and bonds you're buying the company's debt. And credit de default swaps are insurance against default on the bonds uh, for the bondholders. Um, so a, a rise in the uh, credit, a spike. What, what they're describing it as in credit default swaps indicates that the bank is starting to be seen as more risky um, to bondholders, that they are insuring, you know, seeing the need to insure their bonds. Um, now, Deutsche Bank actually had had quite a few quarters of profit, uh, I think, since 2019, but they they did have some some problems before that. They were seen as a pretty risky bank and they they restructured, I think it was, in 2019. So, I don't know. We'll have to see how this develops because it could be just people getting spooked from the Credit Suisse thing and it's kind of spreading to Deutsche Bank or it could actually be that there's a serious problem with Deutsche Bank. So I'm not 
I'm not totally sure yet. What What do you think about it, Mike? I, I think of fundamentally Deutsche Bank at $1.3 trillion in assets. You, the, the Germany like lives, breathes this bank. There's no way that they're going to, the, the ECB will jump in whenever they have to. I don't know if UBS can buy them out, but um, you know, like they were forced to for, uh, for credit suite. Yeah. So it's like, we've got to really look at it. I think fundamentally what's going on is you have mortgage default swaps for the last problem for, for our financial institutions collapsing in 2008. And now we're looking at business default swaps, basically bonds. So, so really are bonds worth anything, you know, at the end of the day? Well, it, it, it depends. It depends on the institution whose bonds you're buying. Um, And uh, yeah, I want to, so, like with the idea of this being a too big to fail bank for Germany um, and the, you know, the European central bank would step in. I want to link that to what's been talked about this week in the U S talking about uh, FDIC insurance and the fact that the FDIC insured all the deposits at SVB and signature bank. Um, And I want to play you guys actually a little clip from uh, Senator Lankford questioning. um, Thanks for being here. Janet Yellen. That's right. Yeah. If you start at 119 in that clip, Dom, uh, he's basically saying that um, uh, that it's unfair because banks that are deemed too big to fail are getting all their deposits insured, right? Because the the Fed, uh, the uh, the Treasury basically said that the FDIC would cover all deposits at Signature Bank, uh, uh, not so, yeah, Signature and SVB because they are like too big to fail. They're systemically important, whereas smaller banks are going to lose out. So. Just check what he says to Janet Yellen here. It's to allow for the Inflation Reduction Act actions uh, from Japan and Germany to now be defined as made in America. I find that very creative. Love to talk about all that. Uh, don't have time. I need to be able to drill on a couple of things. Let me start with some of the banking issues we're dealing with on it. Will the deposits in every community bank in Oklahoma, regardless of their size, be fully insured now? Are they fully recovered Every bank, every community bank in Oklahoma, regardless of the size of the deposit, will they get the same treatment that SBBP just got or Signature Bank just got? A bank only gets that treatment if a majority of the FDIC board, a supermajority, a supermajority of the Fed board, and I, in consultation with the president, determine that the failure to protect uninsured depositors would create systemic risk and significant economic and financial consequences. So what is and your plan? That determination. Right. right. So, so what is your plan to keep large depositors from moving their funds out of community banks into the big banks? We have seen the mergers of banks over the past decade I'm concerned you're about to accelerate that by encouraging anyone who has a large deposit in a community bank to say, we're not going to make you whole, but if you go to one of our preferred banks, we will make you whole at that point. Um, look, I mean, we're that's certainly not something that we're encouraging. That is happening right now. That is All happening right. because um, depositors are so- concerned about the bank failures. <laughs> you can uh, you can turn it off now, Dom. Um, so yeah, that was like I hope people in the audience understand that basically what 
they were saying. But uh, is they're saying kind of like that the Fed or the, not the Fed, the, the Treasury, you know, FDIC is giving preference to these larger banks uh, because they are so-called like too big to fail. Um, so they're insuring all deposits. And that's going to cause people who have large deposits over $250,000, which in theory, the FDIC doesn't cover to move their deposits from these small community banks to these big banks, which is then just going to encourage more mergers and takeovers, consolidating power. And eventually you're going to end up having like two or three massive banks, all these small banks going out of business. I mean, that's kind of like the end game with this. Um, and it almost makes you feel like this is by design in a way, right? Like a the old thing of like, never let a good crisis go to waste, right? 9-11, they brought in the Patriot Act uh, to take away people's, you know, certain freedoms. Financial crisis, they brought in certain things afterwards that actually were beneficial to the banks. And it looks like with this crisis, we're seeing, you know, if, if they say, oh, we'll insure all deposits at the largest banks, that means people will, will flock to those largest banks instead of the small banks because uh, their um, total deposit is insured. Yeah, the, the, there's less risk when you're going to a big bank. So why would you put any money into a small bank? It doesn't make any sense. I, I mean, she was completely like speechless. She, she didn't even know what to say after he brought that up. And, and it's so true. Like, what what would stop you from using a small regional bank like, uh, you know, Fifth Third, which is not, you know, larger of the, the regional banks, right? And they they just raised their their benchmark interest rates to eight uh, percent, I think yesterday. But it, it's interesting to really think about is you know basically you're going to get the tech giant world of banking, where you have Meta, you have J.P. Morgan, where you have you know Google, you have Bank of America, and where you have Amazon, you have Wells Fargo. You know, so it, it's it, it's fundamentally going to become this conglomerate of banks and, and you know maybe that's what they're trying to push forward but we'll see what happens uh, for the smaller banks i mean that's where crypto really helped out a lot of things right there was there was no it grew so fast i mean the value of crypto flipped overnight and there's no regulations on it you know it shows that free market enterprise really can happen with financial institutions you know so it it's wondering why they would continue to push down on this. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and it's almost like the, the discourse, the narrative about universal FDIC insurance has been brought into, you know, the public eye now. And sometimes when that happens, it's done for a reason. You know, I think these things aren't by coincidence. Um, so you get people talking about it, open to the idea. Um, it, you know, we'll, we'll see how it develops, but speaking of crypto, um let's uh let's move into our next um our next segment okay so coinbase stock plunged uh on thursday after the sec notified them um that they were they'd basically been uninvestigate under investigation and concluded that they'd violated uh securities laws okay and basically it's a referral that now they could face some criminal prosecution. Um, and this is quite interesting. There's a tweet from the CEO of Coinbase uh, that you can put on screen. And it seems that Coinbase actually have been in talks with the SEC for a while. Uh, so for several weeks or months. And um, yeah, basically, he says they received a Wells notice. And the Wells notice, basically, it is a letter sent from the SEC to 
certain company or a person informing them that the SEC thinks they should be criminally investigated. Um, and, you know, what he says like two years ago, because basically they IPO'd two years ago, right? Um, they are the largest crypto exchange in the world. Well, the largest publicly traded crypto exchange in the world. Their IPO was in 2021. And that's actually quite a, kind of amusing that their IPO was actually on the same day as uh, Congress voted to make, uh, what's his name, Gary Gensler, the head of the SEC. So basically Coinbase had worked with the SEC for several months, you know, doing all the due diligence and stuff, preparing for their IPO, basically saying that everything was legal, everything was up to the SEC's standards at that time. And then this Gary Gensler guy comes in and totally flips it on its head. And Coinbase had been talking with him, uh, particularly to do with staking, which is where you can earn uh, an interest rate by staking your crypto. Um, and basically talks have apparently broken down. And now the SEC is basically, according to insiders, uh, going after Coinbase's whole business. Yeah, it's interesting because when you say staking for interest rates, it's not like we're staking to get financial fiat currency. You're staking to get cryptocurrency. So yeah. it's like, how can how can they say this, that, or the other thing? It's it's not there, um, you know, because you're not getting interest in in fiat currency, which the SEC works on the U.S. dollar. I mean, they're not in use. So it's interesting to think about how it's going to come together. Yeah, basically, that a lot of these staking accounts, the SEC is viewing them as if they're a security, uh, saying that they're a security, and you know that's what they've come after qu quite a few different you know exchanges and people and coins and stuff. Um, but basically, saying that um, with um, an interesting thing actually as well was that Kathy Wood, so she's the CEO of Ark Invest, she dumped three uh, thirteen point five million dollars worth of Coinbase stock on Tuesday, which is a day before. Coinbase actually announced that they had received this Wells notice, uh, which is kind of interesting. It looks like, um, you know, perhaps the CEO of Coinbase uh, gave her a little uh, advance warning um, that this happened. I don't know. Maybe maybe there's an explanation for it, but uh, it seems to be that she had some advance warning. But interestingly as well, she's now, uh, she's trying to buy the dip. So <laughs> she actually sold a lot of Tesla stock. And just, uh, I think it was yesterday or today, she bought uh, $17 million worth of Coinbase stock. Cool. So, yeah, kind of cool, right? So it seems that actually she is confident because Coinbase say that they're going to fight this. They're not actually going to settle with the SEC. They're going to fight it in court. So she seems confident, at least, that uh, Coinbase can actually... Uh, can actually win, I guess, or, or at least for a time they can appear to win enough to bring the stock back up boost the stock profit. back up yeah <laughs> it's interesting she she dipped out and dipped back in pretty quick yeah she knows Perfect something timing. she she knows something we don't i guarantee it oh, of course she does yeah i mean she's the ceo of a major fund so of course she's in contact with you know people who know what they're doing and stuff um but you know actually also i mean she's done very well in the past but the last few years her arc invest fund has got absolutely hammered um, so, you know, with any fund manager, I mean, they use the phrase past performance in not, is not indicative of future results, right? That's the, basically the little, the little slogan on any financial ad, right? Yeah. yeah. If you, if you watch any business channel, they always say on any investment ad, it's like past performance is not indicative of future results. Um, you know, it, it's, it's tough to beat the market, right? Even if you're a fund manager. So generally fund managers that have done really well in the past 
people want to invest in their fund, but actually they're kind of often due for a correction. <laughs> and that's what's happened to ARK Invest over the last couple of years. Yeah, a lot of a lot of funds have seen, you know, the eddies and flows. I mean, it's normal in the market to, to experience that. It's just interesting how certain people, I mean, uh, there was a, I don't know if he's in Congress or Senator, but he uh, he dumped a bunch of uh, bonds uh, at the end of February. I can't remember his exact name, but, you know, he dropped like a million dollars worth of bonds. And, you know, this guy's in Congress and literally like a week later, the bond market crashes. And it's like, well, how did you know? I mean, like you're just excellent at timing the market. I mean, I think the guy's a billionaire. I think he has some company. I, I haven't looked into much of him. I just saw the news quickly and I was like, makes sense. You know, let's let's yeah. sell and run. So, you know, the we'll sell and rebuy, right? Well, I wouldn't rebuy bonds right now if you gave me the money. No. <laughs> They're still going down. I mean, everything's at three percent. Right now, then they just raise the rates again. So yeah. I stay away. From that, that I mean, run. <laughs> All right. So staying with crypto, let's um let, let's move into something else that's like crypto news, which is pretty interesting. So, and to do with the SEC as well. The SEC has been going wild this week, right? So, the SEC has charged several celebrities, including Jake Paul and Lindsay Lohan. Uh, in a crypto scam. So there's a BBC article here, Dom, you can put up on screen. Um, and it revolves around this guy, uh, Justin Sun, who uh, I guess he's from China. I think he's based in Singapore, perhaps. Um, but basically, he has been charged with a load of securities violations in connection with his uh, TRX and BTT uh, cryptocurrencies. So sale of unregulated securities, and then also in the case of TRX market manipulation. Okay. So he's kind of like the main um, culprit in this, but um, the, in the SEC's uh, filing or press release, they named eight celebrities uh, and you can pull this one up as well. The actual um, filing from the SEC. So there's eight celebrities. If you scroll down, uh, Lindsay Lohan, Jake Paul are the first two, um, Soldier Boy, I'm sure some people know who that is. Little Yachty uh, and Akon. Um, those are the sort of the more well-known names. There's a few others. Um, but yeah, they're all charged in this. And actually, some of them have already settled uh, with the SEC. And uh, I, I'm going to show you. So basically, what happened was these eight celebrities, um, Justin Sun basically paid them to tweet about his cryptocurrencies. And they uh, they put up... They all put up a load of tweets or one tweet each, I guess, within a few hours or within a day of each other. And every single one of these tweets was retweeted by Justin Sun uh, in an attempt to create a sort of false buzz of celebrity interest in his cryptocurrencies, okay, to pump the price, all right? Classic, well, allegedly, it sounds like a classic, classic sort of pump and dump uh, scheme. And uh, I can actually show you the tweets from Lindsay Lohan and from Jake Paul, and I can tell you how much they've paid for them and how much uh, money they have paid to settle with the SEC um, for the, the charges. So this really is another case of dirty money. So do check this out, right? So um, exploring DeFi, decentralized finance, uh, already liking JST, SUN, okay, that's Justin Sun, uh, on TRX, okay, so that's the name of the token. Super fast and zero dollar fee. Good job, Justin Suntron. That's his uh, Twitter handle. All right. So, 
how does Lindsay Lohan know about this stuff, right? You think she wrote that herself? I don't know. I'm not so sure. I don't think so. Um, allegedly, the tweets were written for them. Um, and I can tell you exactly what happened. So she was paid $10,000 for that tweet. I think she had about 8 million uh, Twitter followers at the time. Uh, and this is what it says in the, the judgment of her. So the respondent shall pay a disgorgement. Uh, disgorgement means basically you forfeit the money you earned if you engage in illegal activities. So she forfeits the $10,000. Uh, then interest of $670 and a civil money penalty of $30,000 uh, she has to pay to the Securities and Exchange Commission. So she has to pay $40,670 um, as a punishment for that and in a settlement with the SEC. And uh, we can now pull up, uh, we can pull up Jake's tweet for you as well, Jake Paul. Um, so his is a little different. Um he, this guy's been getting hammered everywhere on the on the crypto world. He has uh, both the Paul brothers, man. Like so, so this one he actually um, he retweeted a tweet from someone else. I think it was um, who was it? It was Little Yachty. But then Little Yachty more recently deleted that tweet, so you can't actually see it. But um, yeah, he was also promoting the TRX token, and he was actually paid twenty five thousand and nineteen dollars. Uh, for this tweet, he was paid in crypto. I guess that's why the price was twenty five thousand and nineteen because of the fluctuations. All right, so basically twenty five thousand. And uh, so he, in the judgment, uh, the settlement with the SEC. Um, so yeah, Jake Paul, he had to pay twenty five thousand uh, dollars as a disgorgement to settle to give the money back because he partook in illegal activity, which he was paid for. Uh, then one thousand eight hundred eleven dollars in interest and also a civil penalty of $75,057. So he's basically had to pay over $100,000 uh, to settle this with the SEC. 4X. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. Four times what he earned. And actually in total, the celebrities who've settled so far have paid collectively over $400,000 to settle this, um, this you know, complaint with the SEC. Where, where does this money go? That's... Um, well, it goes to the SEC. It's a fine. Maybe. So, it... so where does the SEC disperse this funding? Do they build new websites for for twenty million dollars, or you know? I guess it just goes into the the pool. I mean, that's a good question beyond the scope of the research I've done for this video. Uh, but it's not. I it's. I don't think it's going to the victims. You know, this isn't a class action lawsuit or anything yeah, like that. that. It's exactly. Settlement. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious how that all, all comes together. Like, hey, we're going to use this money. You got to pay back what you earn. Plus, you're going to get some some civility clause payment of an additional yeah. 75K. Maybe the SEC just YOLOs it all on like Dogecoin or something. Yeah, they're smart. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, the takeaways from this as well is that like, you know, uh, Logan Paul, uh, sorry, Jake Paul and his brother Logan, probably they should be very scared right now because both of them have uh, promoted a load of these scam cryptos, including Logan Paul's own crypto zoo NFT scam and also his dink doink coin, which was the most ridiculous <laughs> crypto ever. So basically for the last two or three years, they have been constantly promoting crypto scams. And I think this is just the start of, you know, probably a lot of fines that both of them are going to have to pay for all this uh, scam crypto stuff they've promoted. When do they, when do they remove their citizenship to the United States and end up in like, well, they, they moved to Puerto Rico. Did you know that? They that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that, that was my first thought is when, when do they go to Puerto Rico and then when do they yeah. leave Puerto Rico and realize that there's not so much of a haven there? 
Yeah, I mean, they um, they just bought a $13 million mansion uh, in Puerto Rico. Uh, that actually looks really nice. You could find Dom. You can you can search Logan Paul uh, or Paul Brothers Man Puerto Rico mansion. There's there's some photos of it. It looks really beautiful. Um, but obviously, like the reason they've moved to Puerto Rico is to avoid taxes because you don't have to pay federal income tax um, if you live in Puerto Rico, and that makes sense if they're getting fined because uh, you know let's say you're paying a thirty percent or forty percent tax in California. Actually, no, in California with the amount they earn, they're probably paying 50% tax. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the top left photo, that's that's it. That's the new mansion they've bought. Uh, you can click in and have a look at that link. There's some really nice, uh, it looks really beautiful. Like um, there's a lot of um, really nice photos of it and stuff from the listing. I think they just, yeah, probably just scroll down that. that uh, oh, there's Logan Paul with his shirt off, but scroll down. Yeah, so it look it looks really beautiful, but anyway, obviously the reason they're living there is to avoid taxes, and uh, that should hopefully help them uh, with all these fines that they're going to have to pay for all their crypto scams. But yeah, you're right; they could just uh, they could just up and leave sometime in the future. Who knows? I, I mean, well, you don't have financially; it's a good place, but when it starts coming to criminal uh, actions, and, and anybody decides to take action against them for for criminal things, if the SEC starts to investigate them a little bit more then you know where do they go are they going to brazil or are they going to you know nicaragua or where, where they they don't have to actually respond to any of that stuff because you know it's out of the jurisdiction they're not going to fight you for it yeah so it's interesting to think about i mean puerto rico completely makes sense i think half the wealthy crypto world in america that made their money over the last three years is now living in puerto rico yeah true definitely so I know there's, there's another thing you wanted to talk about, Mike, um, which is the World Baseball Classic and some of the financial kind of shocking amounts of money that go into that. So I'm just going to let you uh, roll with it. Well, so, you know, the World Baseball Classic, they started it in the early 2000s. The MLB, the WSBC, which is the World Softball Baseball Classic, um, you know, they, they wanted to compete with essentially what would be the World Cup. And, and baseball in America is pretty much – you know, it's an older generation sport. It's it's about as popular as hockey, but there's still millions, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars into the industry. And so this baseball classic ends up being this the recent one that just finished Japan one ends up being the most valuable actual baseball classic ever. You know, the, the hundred million dollars in revenue over the course of about two weeks was earned uh, viewership for for this was over a million people were watching it, you know? Um, and, and you got to think about 70 million people watched the, the championship game worldwide, you know, only 12.5 million people watched the world series last year. So just one game, you had 70 million people actually watch. Now there's some controversy because the fact that if you get injured in the world baseball classic and you have an MLB contract, like uh, Martin or like Edwin did, or like uh, Jose Altuve, you know, Altuve is out for two months. His contracts were $29 million. So wow. two months of his contract has now got to be paid by some MLB insurance. Basically that's what happens is the insurance they buy for the world baseball classic then covers his, his expense through that club, uh, the baseball team. But it's really interesting to think about the, the massive expanse. So they brought in $100 million. 
the most they're going to pay out for players and for teams is $14.4 million. That's the pool of money. The team that wins, they get a million dollars. You know, if you, if you're, if you're Mike Trout, who's making 30 million plus a year and your team wins and you got to split a million dollars with whatever, it's like 10 grand, right? Maybe 20 grand, maybe 30 grand, whatever. It's nothing even significant. I mean, not for him, that's for sure. So they're not so, doing this for the money. No, they, they don't do it for the money at all. And you can see that when they're playing, that there is nothing involved with the money. And and I think it's going to really create some serious growth um, in the future for baseball. So 2026 World Baseball Classic, I'm already looking at it going, all right, I should get tickets for this. Just because. I wonder, I wonder how much the insurance costs, you know, if they have to pay out like, I mean, it's not it's not that out of that hundred million they're paying out twenty nine million, right? It's an insurance company is paying right. out. Maybe they've paid a million dollars to get insured or two million, something like well, that. Well, the MLB sponsors the event, so the MLB is the one that carries the insurance, and I don't know exactly what they're covering, but for for Edwin, who's a relief pitcher for the Mets, his contract this year was eighteen point six four million dollars. He's out for the season. Wow. So, so this insurance has got to cover that $18.64 million, you know? And so it's like, how much is Jose Altuve's $29 million for two months, right? So maybe they play baseball for, for eight months. So if you put eight, you know, it's two, another $2 million. So yeah. they're paying $20 million to play just on the insurance side. I guarantee the rates are going up next season or the next <laughs> time the World Baseball Classic comes around. They're going to get yeah. hammered on the back end. But it's interesting, you know, to think that, you know, for for Japan, baseball is like, you know, like football is here in America. American football and baseball in Japan are are identical. They they draw the same type of of financing on the back end for, you know, per capita based on their population and, and work. So it's interesting to really think about how much money is really into this world baseball classic. And I guarantee the MLB is going to ride this to, to a whole nother level of, uh, you know, that's in the U S right. That's just one game, you know, and and the world series last year, uh, albeit it wasn't the greatest, um, you know, only brought in 12 and a half million viewers. And I don't know if that's an aggregated number, but, to me, this World Baseball Classic is going to turn into more of a World Cup type thing. And I wouldn't be surprised if the NBA tries to jump on board with their own. Why don't they just call it the World Cup? The World well, Baseball Cup. I guarantee there's there's uh, <laughs> there's some uh, uh, trademark rights, service mark. FIFA. Oh, yeah, FIFA, <laughs> FIFA's coming down with the hammer. And I don't know if they can dive that much in baseball. I mean, <laughs> you mean fake, fake yeah. injuries? <laughs> yeah, I mean the NBA and in, in baseball probably. The know, NBA, they could. <laughs> yeah, the NBA and, and soccer, like, they're getting pretty close. I mean, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, th- that's another story for another day. But it's interesting to think about the amount of money that was made in 14 days off of this game, and then the players who weren't paid. It, it kind of reminds you of what college football or college basketball is in the United States where you have these athletes and they're not paid except for late name and likeness that they get now name and likeness now interesting on the name and likeness for college athletes are kind of going on a tangent but you get huge boosters that stand behind these universities that so you've got like billionaires like ross 
who's at the University of Michigan, the guy's worth, I think, $8, $12 billion, something like that. He can then turn around and then get the NLI, you know, money over to the players and say, well, my, my, my company's going to give you an NLI contract or NIL contract for, you know, a million yeah, dollars. Let's just explain what it is for the viewers. So it's like NIL, name, name likeness. Uh, basically, they're not paid for playing uh, basketball or, or football or whatever, but they can make money off endorsing products or having their likeness in a computer, a video game, or that kind of thing. And they used to not be allowed to do that at all. Uh, but recently, rules have been changed and they've been allowed to do it. So they can, you know, although they're not paid to play because they're playing college games, so much money is being made off it by other companies that it's a bit unfair to the players. So now they are actually allowed to use their name and likeness to endorse products, appear in video games uh, or whatever, you know, and, and actually yeah. make some money. Well, before that, they couldn't even sign, you know, do autographs uh, on products, you know. Oh, because that would end up being worth money, right? Exactly. So so then they, they essentially you could sit there as a college kid, you know, you're Michael Jordan not getting a dime and you're just signing every North Carolina jersey you can find. Selling sell them, them on eBay. Well, back then you just take them into the games and sell them as people were walking out, <laughs> right? Yeah. There's no eBay in 1983. But the, the idea is, is that there's a lot of opportunity now for these players. But for MLB, are they going to start paying these athletes to play, you know, for in, the, the, in the classic? Yeah, right. The World Baseball Classic. Are they going to start paying these athletes and and positioning them accordingly, just like the World Cup does? You know, uh, we'll see what really happens there. But it's interesting to think that there was such an, a massive growth in baseball. No, no one saw this coming. You know, you have you have Mike Trout, who essentially is the best hitter in baseball right now. Going against the one of the best pitchers, uh, Shoho uh, Anatoni. I can't say his name. He's the oh, baseball. Shohei Otani. Sho Shohei Otani. Yes, Dom, Dom <laughs> comes in for the win. Um, you know he strikes out uh, Mike Trout with you know Trout swings on three pitches. He's only done that twenty four times in his whole career. So the the guy's only swung at three pitches and struck out. 24 times out of 6,174 bats. Wow. Yeah, you know, so you're, you're talking about something that's really rare, not to mention it's in a championship game, you know? I don't so, really know what that means, Mike, but, like, wow, yeah. Well, I don't the, really baseball. Of, the, the chance of it happening is, like, less than 0.01%. Okay. And it happens yeah. in the championship game on one of the at bats for, for these guys, you know? So the, the, the concept of it being rare and valuable is astronomical. So wow. a lot of that helped to guide this world baseball classic. And I'm interested to see what really happens with the money at the end of, uh, at the end of 2026, what they're going to do when they do the world baseball classic again. Nice. Oh, so it's every three years. Well, it's supposed to be every four years, but the the pandemic kind of threw it off. So they waited six years and then they said, we're uh, going to do it in 26. So, um, you know, it, it's really supposed to be every four. Again, they're, they're trying to make the World, like the World Cup, Cup. Of baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's certainly really eye opening. And it's nice to end on a story that's a little bit more 
positive, right, about how much money these people are making uh, rather than who's getting sued or whose stock is uh, crumbling. And uh, so, yeah, it's kind of a theme of this episode. Big changes happening in the financial world. Pluto moving into Aquarius. Last time that happened, we had the Revolutionary War in both the US and France. So we could be looking at big changes coming in society, including uh, the financial area um, in the next few years. So thanks, Mike, for joining us today. Thank you. Awesome, guys. Please subscribe if you're new, uh, whether you're listening to this or watching this on YouTube or any of the other podcast platforms. Also, we are available. Our, our short clips are available on all of the other social medias, TikTok, uh, Facebook, Instagram Reels, uh, and obviously YouTube Shorts. So subscribe wherever you are a user um, of those particular social media platforms. Dirty Money Show is our handle uh, on most of them. Thanks for joining us, Mike. And guys, we'll see you next time.